thank you for choosing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We surrender this time to you, Lord. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to what you want to say this morning so that we can be soil that receives the seed that you want planted this morning, Lord. We surrender to you and ask this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Everyone said, amen. All right, you guys can go ahead and take a seat. As I said before, we're moving into the topic of counterfeit love. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so know that it, we're not covering everything today. Just so you know, it's going to take us time. So know we, there are so many different entities and aspects and directions that you can go with the topic of love. So we're going to try to hit as many as possible. One of the things that I loved about that song, though, I, there's so many lines in that song that I think are so powerful. Uh, but I love that when we sing over and over, you never stop. You never stop. Because something about earthly love, earthly love can stop. <laughs> you know, right? There are times, you see it all the time. Divorce wouldn't happen if it didn't stop, right? So it's, it can stop here. But I love that God is just reminding us his love never stops. So we'll dive into some of that. Probably not today, but Jason's going to, yeah, you ready? Sure. Going to start. You, you got this. <laughs> it's kind of funny because what Jim was talking about earlier how we thought oh this would be pretty easy like I always thought identity is the harder one to deal with because like that's the thing people struggle with the most and it's a little more can be a little more complex and then we got into love and then we started to realize that love is actually the reason why identity is all off. And so when we started to realize that, we're, we started to dig deeper into, into the topic of it. And it went from like a four-week, you know, oh, we're going to hit this, we're going to hit this, we're going to hit this, to, oh, we have to split this up and do a second week. This morning she goes, I think you're going to do next week's on this other topic that she was going to do. She's like, because I think I'm going to spend my time on this one the following week. And we're like, okay. So bear with us, because it... it Love is, is a complex topic. It shouldn't be, but it kind of is, actually. And we'll, we'll kind of briefly get into it today. Today's probably going to be more about like how we see love now, how society tells us about love. And then we're going to kind of go into a little everything else from there. But we'll start off today because we started writing this out, and it was very much in line with what we had planned on, and then it started to take a detour about two paragraphs in of, of stuff. And so um, we, we literally went from like, okay, this is this, this is this, this, to reading C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves, studying Greek on the different, you know, words of love, and it was like, oh, and you just go down rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole. And so it's, it's getting a little complex. And if you've ever read C.S. Lewis, you don't read C.S. Lewis. You read it, and then you read it again, and then you read it again, and then you finally start to understand the, the sentence that he's talking about, and then you read it again, and then you read it again, and then you get the concept, like, because the, the way he talks is completely different than we talk now, and some of the sentences are the longest sentences ever known to man. Like, it's semicolon, colon, you know, apostrophe, or dash, this, and you're like, I forgot what, what the actual sentence started with. And so you think it's like, I was telling her, I was reading it, 
And I'm like, oh, okay, this is a natural stop, period. No, that's a comma. And now I have to start all over because I'm like, his thought did not stop there. It just started. And he kind of like just is the preface to what he was thinking. And now you have to go into what he's thinking. So, yeah, it's, what was that? Yeah, yeah, you can't catch your breath. You can't read that out loud. Yeah, I'm like, oh. So we'll start off, what is love? So I looked it up, definition, because I always like to define terms anytime we do stuff. Um, definition one is an intense feeling of deep affection. Pretty standard, right? Definition two, a great interest or pleasure in something. And I think this is where society starts to go wrong with love. We flip that. When we think of love first, we think about pleasure because we go, oh, I love that movie. Oh, I love this. I love that. And, then, you know, and so we, we've taken it, and actually we're talking more about like, and we've confused like and love, but then we've also flipped the definitions because an intense feeling of deep affection, deep, you look up deep, and I like to like, when I read a definition, I'm like, all right, let me look up every word in that definition just to kind of figure out like what it actually means. When you think of deep, it's actually extending far down from the top or the surface. We must intentionally and methodically navigate our way down to the depths. If we fall into something, we get hurt. But we talk about we fall in and out of love. Well, that's accidental. Like when we fall, it's an accident. Nobody falls on purpose, right? So we think of deep, it's actually here, and then we work our way down. So love isn't something that we just like all of a sudden, boom, I love you, or I love this you have to start walking down the path of it. Um, and then a tense is an extreme force, degree, or strength. We talked about it takes no effort to fall. Like if I'm just, it's actually, it's a lack of effort. It's a lack of attentionality. It's a lack of attention. And then we fall, right? When we talk about we fall in love, so are we accidentally, unintentionally, you know, falling with no purpose in love with somebody? Like, but that's how we use it. You know, I've fallen in, I've fallen out. Um, and if we approach love without intention and intention, we end up with a lack of comprehension. We don't understand, we lack understanding. Um, because what we relied on, what we felt, or what we relied on was how we felt at the time. But that changes constantly, right? Again, we flip the definitions. We're, we're take, talking about love being a pleasure instead of love being an intense um, deep affection for something. We have, when we talk about love, we can talk about two different things. There's the emotion of love and then there's the action of love. Um, love is both a feeling and a response. And they are mutually exclusive. Like you can feel love and emotion towards somebody and then treat them horribly still. There's no act there. And you can actually not like somebody and then do something loving for them. So just because you were talking about love doesn't mean we are talking about the same things. What you could be talking about love could be different from what you're talking about from love. And sometimes we confuse ourselves with it because we actually don't even know because we flip the definitions and we're talking about pleasure and not an intense, deep affection for somebody, right? So love the emotion is what most people speak of when they talk about love. More precisely, like I said, they're talking about like, right? We, we've changed that but that's a different conversation. When we say we love someone or something, what is it that we are actually feeling? Are we actually just feeling happy when we talk about it? Like, I love that, I love this. Well, does it just bring you happiness and joy? Um, are you getting 
some other, are you feeling hopeful? Are you feeling thankful? Are you just getting pleasure out of it? Like we use love to cover all of those things where love really isn't actually what we mean. We're thankful, you know. You love your wife or your spouse or your husband um, is one thing, but when you say, oh, I, I love this person, because maybe it's because you, they make you feel um, complete, right? It's different feelings that you're experiencing, but then we all ascribe it to love. And that's why we kind of start to go wrong with everything. And it's not wrong to, say, to love somebody because of all those things. We have to understand, though, why we're loving something in the first place. Um, when we speak of loving something based on how we feel or what we get out of it, is that really love? Like we have to ask ourselves that. And we'll dive, we'll dive into that further in the next few weeks when we actually start um, talking about love in different, different ways. Um, for now, it's just to know there's, there's love the emotion. We also have love the action. In Matthew 22, when asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. One does not have to have the emotion of love in order to do the action of love, right? This too, we'll, ex we'll explore later, but we just need you to understand that there is love the emotion and then there is love the action and that they are mutually exclusive. Um, so again, this is just a brief primer on, on love before we go into deeper because if we don't do this, next week we'll set, we'll, we won't make any sense. Um, so what is the purpose of love? Why we love? In our uh, scripture verse or passage for this month, 1 John 4, 7 through 21, um, verse 1 starts, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So we love because we are from God, right? It's built into us. We were created to do that. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, which is actually interesting at this time um, of our lives or that's going on right now because there is a lot of fear in the world, right? And I was just looking up a little bit ago, the opposite of fear is not love. The opposite of fear is faith or hope. And so people have fear when they actually have a lack of hope or forget that they have hope in something. So that is why it says, that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, right? Jesus' perfect love, God's perfect love, sending his son down, gave us hope. And in that hope, it casts out fear of everything else because we have something greater. And I was, you know, we talk a lot about everything, but just this whole coronavirus, like I don't fear the coronavirus. I don't fear any of the other things too. I didn't fear... The power outage going out, you know, and over the summer, I didn't fear mirrors or SARS or any of the other 100 million things um, that go on there, mainly because I'm just not in, I don't know, I've never been a fearful person. I've been more of a prepared, like I'll be prepared, but fear is not something that I'm accustomed to anyway. So it's, when I see it, like it's just, it seems irrational to me. But the more I think about it, it's because I, I do have that hope. I've always believed in God. I've always had that hope in God. Right, and that, if you think about it, we just did communion. Right, his blood conquered sin and death. We sing about, you know, we are no longer slaves to fear because we are children of God. But yet, we watch the news and then we start to let the lies of the enemy 
infect us and affect us. And it's, it's actually brilliant. We were talking about, too, how this whole coronavirus thing, perfect sense of the enemy. Let's isolate people in fear, right? And that's what happened with Jesus. He tried to isolate him to tempt him. It's the only way, it's the best way the devil works is to isolate you first and then get you in fear and then you can believe the lies, right? So in fear, or there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because when we have, the, when we truly believe that we are fully loved, we are not alone. When we, we truly believe that God loved us and created us, we are worthy, right? His love is, uh, is sufficient and sustains us. It's when we separate that love of God from ourselves that we allow fear to come in. But in, what was it, Romans 38, we talked about 38, 8, and 39, 8, 38, and 39, um, Paul says that there is nothing, he goes, I believe that there is nothing on earth and heaven that can separate the love of God from us. And that's true. God's love is always there, no matter what you do. We're the ones that separate our love from God. We're the ones that distance ourselves from him, right? So when we distance ourselves from him, then fear can creep in. The other reason we love is it's a commandment, right? God command us to love one another. To love him. So we are commanded to love. We were built for love as well. First Peter 4.8, love covers a multitude of sins. This doesn't mean that when you love somebody, if you kill somebody else, you're good. It balances out. It's not that. Love covers a multitude of sin means that when we truly love, we will forgive. When we forgive, we won't harbor anger, bitterness, envy, jealousy, which will lead us to other sins. So it covers a multitude of sins. It covers us from perpetuating more sin in our lives, right? It doesn't just cover over it. It keeps us and prevents us from going into more sin. Um, Because if bitterness, envy, anger, jealousy are all unchecked, eventually it will turn into sin, right? that, That is the fruit of it. So we've had, you know, what is love? Why love? The problem with love now. So when we look at the dictionary definition of love and you can see society has definitely placed the pleasure part of love, the definition, over the deep affection of it. That's why everything is so superficial. Superficial is actually the opposite of deep, right? So we've confused love with pleasure, and love can definitely be a source of pleasure, but when pleasure is the source of your love, then you've got it backwards, and it won't sustain because your pleasure is going to change, so then your love is going to change. That's why our love, if our if our faith is in Jesus, he is the source of our love. That never changes. Jesus never changes. God never changes. Our source of love never changes. So regardless of what goes on in our lives, whatever pleasures come in and out of our lives, whatever good or bad things come into our lives, our source of love remains the same. Um, and when we allow pleasure to be our source of love, pleasure is subjective, which means it's from ourselves. It's our, from our flesh. And what is the Bible say about our flesh? It's evil, right? It's wicked. So we're letting what is evil, what is wicked, be the source of our love? Doesn't make a lot of sense. And you can see why the enemy, why the world's kind of messed up. The enemy is like, hey, this is perfect. I'll just distort their view of love, changes your whole entire identity, has you chasing all the wrong things, and here we are today with everything. Um, 
There's a secondary problem with love, though, too. Well, actually, before we go back, when we do that, we're actually letting the enemy determine our source of love, too, and not God, right? And that's probably the bigger thing is we are now, we put the enemy in charge of our love, our pleasure, our joy, our peace, our happiness with it. So the secondary problem with love, <clears throat> it's not biblical. The definitions we use actually aren't biblical. And this is what threw us for a loop, too, is we started going through it, and then we were like, wait a minute. You know, the, we, we had to look at, we started looking in the Bible, and the words that they use in the Bible are, in the New Testament, are all Greek. And at that time, there were the four main words. Um, there's actually six that, that the Greeks used, but only four were used in the Bible at that time. Um, and it's, most of you, if you've read C.S. Lewis or you've heard Rick talk, it's, it's funny because I hear, you hear everybody what they, what they call them today, like how they pronounce it, like Storgo and Philio. You listen to C.S. Lewis and he pronounces them completely different. I'm like, I'm going to go with C.S. Lewis's definition because he's one, he's closer to that time and he's probably smarter than most of the people I've ever heard um, say it. So when he says it, like it's, he pronounces them Storge which I'm like, oh, okay, it's, it's different instead of storgo, you know, philia, um, eros, and agape, like instead of agape, which is good, because every time I hear agape, I think of finding Nemo and escape, <laughs> like, so it throws me off, so I'm like, I'm going with agape just because it actually, it sounds more intelligent than something that Dory might say. Um, so we'll actually, over the next few weeks, and actually as we go into it, we're going to explore all four of those words and how um, the Bible uses them. And then how, when you look at, at that too, that the definition of, of love that we should be following are those ones and it's completely different than what we think about now. And eros, one of those words, never used in the Bible. Eros is the one that's pretty much sexual in nature, never once used in the Bible with it but that's the one we seem to be focused on most when we talk about we love somebody. We're talking about the intimate, physical, sexual, carnal part of, of love. And it's no, that's actually nowhere in the Bible. So quick primer today on it, um, just to kind of give you guys an idea of, we had to set the table for it, because if we try to do that and then go into the Greek and then try and go into what God was actually meaning from those, it's a whole longer list. The other thing, too, is when we do our um, questions today in our small groups, take notes because some of the things that you have problems with now, we want you to make note of those. And then as you start to learn what God meant by love, you might find out that that's going to change the way you look at the problem and actually give you a solution to it instead of just still trying to beat it through the same lens over and over again with it. Um, so next week we actually will go in more into Storge, Filio, and Agape about them. And then we'll put it into practice in loving God, loving yourself, loving neighbors, and then probably whatever other six things come out of her head as we go through it. Because one of those six, oh, she's going to give you a preview of after. Oh, okay. Okay, so you can go ahead and come up and then close us out. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> He's getting used to this. 
but as Jason was speaking, I just felt the Lord. And I, this is part of it. Like when, when we walked into to it thinking, oh, it's going to be easy. You know, the Lord is the one that says, <laughs> you think you've got this. And then, and then we walk in, we're like, oh, this room is way bigger than I thought it was. And so I just felt the Lord saying, this, is, this particular topic is a key. Like, I don't want to gloss over it. I don't want you to go fast through this. I felt him tell me while he was speaking that love, like when we can grasp, and that's why we're going to, we really want to go in detail and really try to hammer out everything. The enemy took what God is. God is love. That is his primary function. It's his primary character. He's always everything. But when you refer to God, God is love is the first thing that comes out, Right? It's why he sent his son. You know, he loved us so much, he sent his son. God is love. He casts out fear because he is love. You know, all these things. And so what does the enemy want to twist? God's primary function, his primary um, communication towards us. And I felt him say, love, if, if you, this group can grasp what I'm trying to tell you about me and about love, that's the key to revival, Revival is going to happen in this group because they're going to grasp what love is. And not love, like Jason's been saying, it's not the love of the world and how the world and how the enemy has twisted love. Because he, he has done a kudo job of like seriously just twisting it and morphing it into something that is not God. And that's why I think I told Jason yesterday, I said, I feel like we don't have one necklace, but we have like 10 necklaces that are all just wound up in a big knot. And that's what the enemy has done with what love, when God says what love is, what he's done. And so we're going to sit and try to unweave this. But I think that I feel God is saying there is so much power when you truly understand it, when you truly accept it, and you can move in that. Because it says, God, that they're going to know we are Christians by our love. It doesn't say by the fact that we go to church, by the fact that I know my Bible, by the fact that I pray. It's that we know how to love. So there is a huge key in this. So I want to encourage you to start like, just take that one scripture, that first John, where it talks about God is love. Meditate on that every day. And when I say meditate, that's a 20-minute, 30-minute, like, you just sit and take a piece of that and just let the Lord speak to you. Because there is a key in this that I think if we get this, the power that can flow is amazing. So Jason also mentioned, you guys, as you start coming up with questions or thoughts about it, because I believe you will, and I, we want to be here to either answer, answer as we can or as, like guide as we can, email us, youngadultsattherockca.com. Send us questions, send us thoughts that you guys have had, because I think this isn't just us telling you, this is us discovering together what God is trying to tell us about what he means about love. Not what the world has poisoned us and told us over centuries and centuries, what we feel. We need to understand what God says it is. And I love the picture that he said, the enemy distances us, you know, and that's what causes fear. If you think about it, the closer you are to God, nothing can get in between. But as soon as you start distancing yourself from people or you start distancing yourself from the Lord, you're creating a gap or a space for the enemy just to come right in. So... You know, you're just reminding me of something, too. Um, for those of you who don't think that love has been distorted that much, for those of you who are married or seeking to be married, when, remember when you were single and you would go someplace and there were a lot of people and you would look and you'd be like, oh, who were you attracted to? 
You're like, that's who I want. That's somebody I want. You took a look at their outside physical appearance to make a decision on who you were going to love. Right? If that doesn't tell you how much it's been perverted and distorted, you're literally basing who you possibly want to spend the rest of your life with based off of who they look. Because you walk into the room, you see 10 people, you exclude half of them right off the bat. You're like, nope, not even worth my time. How do you know? How do you know? Right? Because we're taking love and we said, okay, I'm going to love, I'm going to be married to somebody, and it's going to start with pleasure. And that person pleases my eyes right now. So that's who I'm going to go after. And then we work our way through. Right? All right. So we're going to break into small groups. Um, if you have any questions when we get into them, there we go. So, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you. Um, that everyone here came today, Lord, that they are not fearing the lies of the enemy, Lord. We are cautious and we take protective measures, Lord, but we are not going to run and hide. We are not going to stay home and isolate ourselves and just be fed lies from the enemy, Lord. We walk in confidence in the hope that you provide us, Lord. We pray over everybody that has the coronavirus, Lord, that those people that are affected by it, Lord, we just ask for healing. Lord, we ask for this disease to just be eradicated, Lord, so that we can get back to worshiping you corporately with the rest of um, our family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. King of my